Good morning, St. Paul's. So this is it. Today we're looking at the last passage in the book of James. We're going to finish it up. Finally, after 12 weeks, we're making it through to the very end. Uh, in this last passage, um, we're actually going to be looking at three different subjects. Uh, three subjects that, unfortunately, don't have a real clear connection to each other. Uh, we're going to be talking about oaths, prayer and healing, and correction. Uh, as most of you know, I finished seminary in December, and I can see my poor preaching professors at Gordon-Conwell shaking their heads if they knew I was trying to talk about all three of those things in one sermon. <laughs> um, so, Dr. Arthurs, Dr. Gibson, if you ever listen to this, I apologize. Um, and I apologize to you guys if this morning feels a little disjointed, but our schedule just doesn't really allow for us to spend three weeks on these verses. Uh, so we're going to do our best to tackle them in one go. So we're picking up where we left off last week in uh, James 5.12. So it'll be on the screen right here, but I encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles uh, if you have them with you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you, as the worship team just sang, that um, you came to fix our broken lives. Uh, we thank you that um, your presence in our lives is healing and restorative. Um, we thank you that uh, you uh, bless us with your fire, uh, meaning your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you send that to us um, to uh, give us guidance and to uh, help us to be more like you. And God, I pray that as we uh, open your word this morning that you would give us uh, the ability to hear what it is you want us to, to, to know. Um, we pray, Lord, that your word would um, transform our minds and that it would affect our behavior, God. Um, we don't want this just to be an intellectual exercise, but we want uh, the power of your word to be transformative in, in our lives. So we ask uh, for that power um, to, uh, to work in us right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, starting in verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. So clearly what James is talking about here is a big deal, right? He says, above all, do not swear. Now, when we hear the word swear today, uh, we tend to think of what you might call profanity, so certain words that you're not supposed to use on TV or radio during certain hours. Uh, but James isn't talking about profanity here. He's talking about uh, what we, we would call oaths. Um, not swearing, but swearing by heaven, or swearing by earth, or by anything else. So some modern equivalents of this might be like saying, I swear to God, or I swear on my grandparents' grave, or something like that. And in Jewish culture, during the time when James was writing, uh, oaths were actually pretty common. And there's a couple places in scripture where Jesus actually confronts the religious leaders of the day, uh, the Pharisees, uh, about using oaths. Because what the Pharisees would do, they, they would play these little games where they would make a promise uh, and they would say something like, I swear by the temple that I will do this. But then later, when they broke that promise, they would say, well, that oath didn't really count because I didn't swear by the gold in the temple. 
so in other words, they didn't swear by the thing that had the most value, so therefore the promise didn't really count. So they were like, they were like kids who would make a promise, but because their fingers were crossed, they would say, oh, that didn't count, fingers crossed. Um, I didn't swear by the gold in the temple, just the temple, fingers crossed, doesn't count. So it's likely that in the church that James was writing to, uh, because it was in Jerusalem, a you know, Jewish city, uh, that they had been influenced by this kind of childish thinking. And what James says in response is, don't play these kinds of games. Don't take oaths, just be honest. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. So the thing about saying, I swear to God, or I swear on my parents' grave, or anything like that, is that it, it suggests that most of the time when we're talking, our word isn't that trustworthy, right? Uh, it, it suggests that our word by itself isn't enough. And James is saying to a culture where a person's word usually wasn't enough, that followers of Christ should be different. Uh, followers of Christ, when they speak, should tell the truth. And others should be able to count on them to tell the truth, even if they're not saying, I swear to God, or I swear by the temple, or I swear by the gold in the temple. As I was uh, reflecting on this verse, I was thinking about how much easier life would be if people just told the truth. And I don't mean, like, disclosing everything all the time. Being truthful doesn't mean you say whatever goes on in, up here. Actually, that can cause a lot of damage. So <laughs> we, we should be careful about what we say and what we don't say. We don't have to disclose everything. But I mean, how much easier would life be if when people spoke, they just didn't lie? They were honest. Uh, have any of you guys listened to the, the podcast Serial? Anybody? Serial? Okay, good. I'm glad there's, there's a few. All right. I just finished, I'm a little behind on things here. This was from 2014, but I just finished the first season of this podcast. And I want to know if Adnan Syed committed murder. I really want to know. <laughs> uh, and those of you who have listened to it understand what I mean when I say that given the evidence and the testimonies that are presented in the podcast, after 10 hours of listening to this thing, at the end, it is impossible to know for sure whether or not Adnan is guilty. So at first you think, oh, oh, the, the picture is becoming clearer, and then you get more information and it throws another wrench in the works, and by the end you were just totally disoriented, and you don't know, you don't know what to think. Um, but one thing is for sure when you get to the end. One thing you can know without a doubt, and that is that someone is lying. Uh, might be Adnan, might be his old friend Jay, could be both of them, but one of them, at least, is definitely lying, and, and lying big time. And those lies make it impossible to determine the truth about the past. And that is so frustrating. I mean, I'm sure it's more than frustrating for the family who has lost a loved one. For them, it's unbearable, right? But for us, for those of us who just want to know the truth, it is so incredibly frustrating. Uh, on a related note, this may seem out of nowhere, but it'll make sense in a second. <clears throat> um, as long as I can remember, I have been interested in what's known as cryptozoology. It's not exactly a hard science. <laughs> Um, it's basically the search for creatures that people claim to have seen, but there is no conclusive proof that they exist. 
So, you know, creatures like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and that sort of thing. And I remember as a kid, whenever I would go to the library, I always had to find the books on the Loch Ness Monster. Because I, I just thought the Loch Ness Monster was so interesting. And I would read what these supposedly eyewitness accounts of Nessie. And I would think, wow, this is so exciting. The truth is out there. But now, years later, as an adult, after finding out over the years how many of the supposed photos of Nessie were actually hoaxes, um, and after years of just being exposed to the general deceitfulness of human beings, um, I, I just get frustrated when I hear stories about Nessie now. Um, not because I know 100% for sure that those stories are lies. I don't. Hope springs eternal, you know? Um, <laughs> But I get frustrated because I can't know. I can't know because what I do know is that people's word can't be trusted. And again, that's really frustrating. And what James is saying is, is that although the world is filled with people who lie about everything from murder to, the, to, the Loch Ness, to seeing the lost Loch Ness monster, although there's all kinds of lies, you should be different. Your word should be trustworthy. You should be... <laughs> The kind of person whose word is so consistently trustworthy that if you tell me you saw the Loch Ness Monster, I'm going to get excited. Okay? Rather than just getting frustrated, rather than doubting you, I'm actually going to get excited. So that's what we should all aspire to. <clears throat> okay, so shifting to our next part in the final instructions. Um, in verse 13, we're going to be looking now at prayer and healing. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. So, starting in verse 13, James says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So here James tells us about the incredible value and power of prayer. And notice in the beginning there, he mentions three different kinds of situations that we can find ourselves in, right? In trouble, in happiness, and in sickness. And what he says is that the appropriate response to all three of these very different situations is prayer. If you're in trouble, he says, you should pray. If you're happy, you should sing songs of praise, uh, which is is. Prayer. prayer, in essence, is talking to God. Singing songs of praise is one way of talking to God. Um, and then if you're sick, he says, you should have some other people come and pray for you. So both in the good times and in the bad times, talking to God is the appropriate response. For many of us, though, um, and I will admit this is, this is something that I've had uh, my own struggles with, uh, going to prayer is not our first instinct. Um, and I think a big part of that is because there is something inherently humble about the act of praying. You, kinda, you have to humiliate yourself in order to pray. Uh, 
Because when we're in trouble, we like to feel like we can pull ourselves out of that trouble on our own. Um, and the act of praying when there's other things uh, that we could be doing to try and gain control of the situation in our strength can feel uh, unhelpful or foolish or e even childish. But what James wants us to recognize is that prayer is helpful, it's not foolish, and it's actually the mature thing to do when you're facing a problem. But it takes humility. And that humility isn't always fashionable. Have you noticed uh, when you're watching TV and movies how rare it is for a character to sincerely pray? You know, they find themselves in the most outrageous of conflicts where I think even plenty of non-religious people, if they found themselves in those kinds of conflicts, would end up praying. But in movies and television, it's very rare that anyone ever makes a sincere prayer. I mean, people will take the Lord's name in vain over and over, but they won't actually stop and genuinely, sincerely pray. So prayer just isn't presented in our media most of the time as a, a worthy response to conflict. Uh, but it is. And there's power in it. And James uses an, an example of the power of prayer from Scripture. He talks about the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And uh, he reminds his listeners that Elijah prayed for, for rain, uh, that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years. And it worked. And then when he prayed for it to rain again, that worked too. And he reminds us that Elijah was a human being, even as we are. So a human, just like us, managed to control the weather with his prayers. Now you might say, okay, well hold on here. Can we really say he was a man just like us? I mean, he sounds like Storm from the X-Men. I don't know a lot of people like that. And if you read the stories about Elijah, you'll notice that God does a lot of other exceptional miracles through him as well. This is not the only thing. <clears throat> but the point James is making is not that Elijah uh, didn't do exceptional things, of course, but that as a simple human being, God did exceptional things through him. Elijah wasn't the incarnation of God like Jesus Christ. Uh, he wasn't an angel. He was a man. And interestingly, he was a man who was very much like us. He, uh, yeah, I mean, when we think of somebody who was able to control the weather with our prayers, I think we envision someone who's kind of like a cross between the wizard Gandalf and Spock from Star Trek, just somebody who's completely unrelatable. But if you read the stories about Elijah, you will see places where um, he's, he's extremely human. There's even a place where it really looks like if he went to the doctor, he would be diagnosed as clinically depressed. And that's after he's had this mountaintop spiritual experience where God has worked a miracle through him. Um, but he's experiencing the same kinds of things that we, we go through, the same doubts, the same fears, um, the same sense of, of helplessness and, and exhaustion. Um, and yet, as a human, his prayer still had incredible power. So that should be incentive for us. Now, I realize that as soon as we start talking about the power of prayer, it raises some really difficult questions. So mainly, why is it that so many prayers aren't answered? Or at least, why are so many prayers not answered in the way that we would want or expect? I'm sure many a couple has prayed that it wouldn't rain on their wedding day, and yet it has. <laughs> Although Dean and Kathy were fortunate in that respect. Um, 
And I can imagine that some of those same couples uh, who prayed and then it rained, you know, might look at the example of Elijah and say, God, we were just asking for one afternoon. You know, Elijah got three and a half years. <laughs> Why couldn't we just get one afternoon? And of course, that's just one example. Uh, many examples are more concerning than that one. I listened to a podcast. I like podcasts, if you can't tell. Uh, a podcast of the show Radio Lab, not too long ago. And it was about uh, a couple, Ryan and Amy Green, who had a child, Joel, who was diagnosed with cancer shortly after his first birthday. And this was a heavy podcast. I mean, I, I cried during this podcast. I was painting a room while I was listening to it, and I was just like, oh my goodness, this is, this is overwhelming. This is powerful. Um, the Greens were people of faith, and they felt confident that the Lord would heal their son, Joel. And so Ryan, who is a video game developer, uh, he undertook this project of creating a video game that was about his son's cancer. And he called it That Dragon Cancer. And the video game, it recreates moments like when Joel wasn't able to stop crying one night in the hospital, uh, that sort of thing. It's not, it's not really meant to be a, a fun game. It's more of a learning experience. It's like a piece of art, you know, where you sometimes with art you force yourself to experience something that's ugly or difficult because it's a learning experience, you know, not just because it's a good time. Um, and the couple said that they created this game because they wanted the story of their son's healing from cancer to be a testimony to the world. So that's why they started it. But sadly, Joel didn't survive. Um, he lived for a while, but, uh, and I'm, I can't remember exactly how long, but he died still a very young child. And the podcast even includes audio from the last night that the son was alive, when many of the members of the Greens uh, church community came over the house and they sang worship songs, packed into their living room, and prayed the whole night. Um, but at the end of the night, uh, even so, Joel did still die. Now that's not a fun story, is it? If you come to church uh, hoping for hope and encouragement, what I just said is very disappointing. So why did I just tell you that? Well, I believe that when we seek to understand Scripture, uh, when we talk about God, we should never ignore or deny anything that we know to be true. Um, we don't want to do ostrich theology. Ostrich theology is the term I like to use to refer to theology that tries to ignore aspects of our experience. Uh, and I don't think that's a healthy way to live. God cares about the truth. And, and as, as his followers, we need to care about the truth as well. And so that means that we should not ignore aspects of reality that are challenging or upsetting. So if I'm going to stand up here and make statements about prayer, right, I have to be able to say those things to the Greens. And if I can't, I don't think I should be saying them. So I want, we, we should be living in light of the truth. So what that means, then, if we're going to talk about prayer, is that on the one hand, prayer is powerful. It's incredibly powerful. People have prayed and stopped the rain, right? And there are things that will only happen if we pray. James has talked about that earlier. We should be incredibly motivated to pray. But on the other hand, we have to acknowledge that praying for something, however good that thing might seem to us, does not guarantee that it's going to happen. Because we can't control God. 
And that's a tension that we have to live with. It's not an easy tension to live with, but it's one that we have to live with. Now, the reason I bring this tension up is because I want us to keep it in mind as we try to understand verses 14 through 16. It says, again, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So in these verses, it sounds like James is saying, if someone is sick, then if certain people from the church just go and pray for that person and anoint them with oil, whatever that means, right? Um, then the sick person will get well. No exceptions. But then we're faced with a difficult question. Well, what about the Green family? What about lots of other people who have similar experiences? And if this is true, why don't we know any 400, 500, 600-year-old Christians? Right? Because <laughs> I don't know of any. People's bodies fail, Christian and non-Christian alike. Like James said in the passage uh, that we looked at two weeks ago, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. He just said that just a little while ago. So in our current state, we are not immortal. We fade, we perish. So then what do we make of verse 15? When James says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. How do we harmonize that with this, this reality that James presented with us in 4.14, that you are a mist that appears for a little while but then vanishes? Well, I think what we need to do is recognize that although James is talking about physical healing, the physical healing isn't necessarily immediate. Sometimes it is, but it's not always. There is a promise that all followers of Jesus will experience physical healing, but not necessarily before death. Uh, did you know that something the Bible teaches very clearly is that we are going to spend eternity not in some sort of non-physical, ethereal realm, often who knows where, some other dimension, but actually right here on Earth. Um, things are going to be very different than they are now, uh, but the everlasting life that the Bible talks about is actually a physical one. And the promise is that one day, when Jesus returns to Earth, those of us who have died and have faith in him are going to be raised to life again in very physical bodies, but those physical bodies will never perish or fade, unlike our current ones. And unfortunately, a lot of this has gotten lost over the years. I'm not exactly sure why, but it's something that Scripture really teaches very plainly, um, that our hope is not just in you die and get transported into some other floaty realm, um, but that we are going to live in the physical world forever. That's our hope. Um, and so when James says that the Lord will raise them up, or raise him up, it's possible that he's not just talking about someone being raised up in the present life, but the raising up that's going to happen in the future after Christ returns. That raising up. <clears throat> but regardless of how we reconcile uh, these verses, James 4.14 with 5.15, the, applica the application is clear either way. 
which is that when someone is really sick, and I don't, I don't mean just like a common cold that you're probably gonna get over, but when somebody has a life-threatening illness, uh, we should have trusted people in our church who will go and pray in faith for their healing. Uh, and those who pray should do it with a confidence that the Lord will make them well. Uh, the Lord might make them well right here and right now, or he might do it after his return. Uh, but either way, we should be trusting that he is going to make them well, that he is going to raise them up. Okay, before moving on to that very last section, uh, the last topic for today, I'd like to look at the end of verse 15 and 16, because I think there's some really important stuff here. Uh, it says, if they have sinned, uh, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, unfortunately, some people think that all physical illness is the consequence of sin. If a person is sick, they say, it's because they've done something wrong. But what James says here suggests that although sickness may sometimes be the result of sin, sometimes it's not, right? He says, if the sick person has sinned, he will be forgiven. If. That means a lot of the time, people are just sick, right? It's not because of anything that they've done. So, so we should never assume that sickness is just the result of sin. But, James also implies here that, sickness, it does, that sin does sometimes play a role in sickness. Um, so, uh, that's another reason why we should be confessing our sins. Because when we confess our sins and we pray for one another, sin loses the power to create sickness in our lives. Now, for some of us, I think that this idea that sin has the power to create sickness might sound kind of superstitious, um, a little weird. But I think the reality is that even from a medical perspective, there's actually a lot of support for this idea. Uh, when we carry the guilt and shame of unconfessed sin, uh, that creates stress for us. And uh, when we have a high level of stress, our bodies produce certain hormones. They're called adrenaline and glucocorticoids. And uh, if our bodies are consistently filled with adrenaline and glucocorticoids, they actually do a lot of damage. Uh, your body has been designed so that under certain circumstances, it will be flooded with those hormones. So say, you know, a bear is running after you. All of a sudden, you get all these hormones and you, you know, you have, the, you have more strength than you would ordinarily have to run away. Um, but when you're under stress, your body is, is, is being filled with these hormones even though there's no bear, okay? And your body isn't meant to be exposed to these hormones for a real long period of time because while your body is uh, using all this energy to produce these hormones, it's not, it doesn't have the energy to focus on, say, your immune system. So then you're more susceptible to things like, you know, ulcers and, and uh, whatever flu is going around. Um, and, uh, and you're even more susceptible to things like heart disease and premature aging and obesity and all kinds of stuff. Um, but confession of sin and the granting of forgiveness can free us from the stress that produces those hormones. I remember when I was a little kid, my brother and I both wanted this watch we saw in a catalog. It was like our idol, you know, we saw this, it was a Mario watch. And you could, you could play a Mario game on this watch. Very cool. And so the two of us together were saving up our change to get it. 
Um, and I didn't know this when it happened. I mean, really, I would confess it at this point if I did. But um, my brother had gone into our parents' change jar, and he had taken a whole bunch of quarters uh, to speed up the process. <laughs> so now my brother was and is uh, a very ethical person. He's always been. And, uh, and so the fact that he had done this, it started to eat away at him. And uh, he just wasn't himself for a while. He was really unhappy. Uh, and I imagine if we could have taken a sample of his blood during that time, those, that adrenaline and glucocorticoids would have been especially high during that time. Uh, and so he was, he was miserable. And eventually he just couldn't bear it anymore and he just cracked. And he like tearfully told my parents that he had taken this money. And I still remember that moment. I didn't know what was going on. You know, I was, we were getting out of the car somewhere and we were walking over this bridge and then he just like fell down on the bridge and he was like, I took the quarters, I took them. <laughs> and, um, and of course my parents, uh, they told him, oh, you know, you shouldn't have done that. But of course also my parents forgave him. And once he, he made that confession and received that forgiveness, he was able to be a happy kid again. That was, he was freed. And I think that the pain that my brother felt uh, as a kid on account of that sin is something that many of us carry to an extreme degree when we're older. Um, and unlike my brother, as a child, we get really, really good at holding it in. And that causes problems for us spiritually, and it can cause problems for us physically, too. And so what James is saying is, confess. You know, if a relationship with someone is broken because you've wronged them, confess that to them. Because there's this healing power in confession. It has the power to heal relationships, and even when it doesn't heal relationships, it has the power to heal you, to free you from that stress. Okay. So finally, we come to the very last topic, the last section. And don't worry, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on here. This will be, this will be quick. James's final instruction is on the subject of correction. He says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Uh, you might remember that a few weeks back, we talked about the subject of judgment. Uh, because James speaks out very strongly against judging people. And we talked about, though, how sometimes judgment gets confused with correction. Um, but, but judgment and correction are not the same thing. Judgment isn't about correction. Judgment is actually about condemnation. Okay. Uh, and there's a big difference between correction and condemnation. Uh, correction, if it's done in love and it's done at the right time, is actually a really good thing. But condemnation is never a good thing. And in these last two verses, James is basically saying, correction is valuable. There's a place for it. And you might wonder, okay, well, why is he talking about this now? Like, why is this the last thing he says at the very end of the letter? And the reason is because he's just finished giving a whole bunch of instructions, right? He's talked about all these practical ways that we're supposed to live out our faith. Um, and so when he talks about people wandering from the truth, he's talking about things like giving, 
preferential treatment to the rich. He's talking about ignoring the poor. Uh, he's talking about judging each other and quarreling and gossiping and all that stuff. And he's saying that if someone is wandering, someone's starting to do those things, then someone in the church should make some effort to correct them, to bring them back to the way of Jesus. Now, I want to make clear, it's really, really important that correction is done with wisdom, which is another thing that James talks about, wisdom. There's a time and there's a place, okay? Uh, correcting someone in a really public, uh, humiliating way, not the way to go. Um, Facebook wall conversations, probably not a good way to go, right? Uh, and it should never be done in a spirit of anger or hatred. Uh, but loving correction is part of what we as the church are called to do for each other. And James tells us why, right? Because if we wander long enough and far enough from the truth, then that leads to death, to spiritual death. Sometimes we avoid correcting each other for so long that, the, but, that by the time that we actually say something, that person is so far gone that we've missed the window of opportunity. I know I've seen this happen. Um, Maybe they've ceased to even identify as a Christian by that point. And at that point, it's pretty hard to appeal to Scripture or the authority of Christ uh, to affect any change in their lives. So it's better to, to say something a little sooner than to wait too long. And in, in addition to saving people from spiritual death, James says that correction covers over a multitude of sins. And I think the reason he says this is because if you help someone to stay on track before they go totally off the rails, then you're preventing them from committing a whole bunch of sins in the future, right? Um, you're helping to rescue them from a multitude of future sins, future mistakes. But we need to remember that it's never we ourselves that cover over people's sins. Okay, if we cover sins in any sense, it's through pointing people to Jesus because he's the only one who can actually um, cover those sins through his sacrifice. All right, so that is it. That's the end of the book of James. Uh, we made it through the whole thing. And I know we covered a lot in these final instructions, uh, but I'd like to return now to this whole point about the power and importance of prayer and how it is um, the right response to basically any situation that we can face, right? And um, I, wa I want to come back to it because, as those of you know who either saw the email this week or were here last week, uh, our congregation is facing a real challenge right now, which is that we aren't sure where we're going to be meeting uh, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, there is a possibility that this whole deal will fall through and we'll end up sticking here. It's a possibility. Um, there's a possibility that we will be in a totally different place. Um, we don't know what's going to happen, right? So, but um, we believe that God provides. We believe that God cares for us, that he is faithful. And, uh, and we also believe in the power of prayer, and that prayer plays an important role in these sorts of situations, especially for us as a corporate body of believers. So what I want to do to close today is I would like us to pray together about this situation. And um, I know I haven't, I haven't gotten any people in advance to agree to do this, so this is always a little risky. But I, because I believe that there's power in corporate prayer and the body is not just me, it's all of us, um, I want to ask that uh, at least two, two come up and say a, a quick prayer, Kathy. Um, 
Uh, does anybody else want to do it? Okay, well, I don't want to put too much pressure on people, so, um, but Kathy will pray. If you feel inspired or led uh, after Kathy prays, come on up, and if not, I'll, then I will just finish this up. But I really think it's important that we seek the Lord together as a community on this issue, um, and of course in private too. So I just encourage you to continue to be praying about this uh, throughout the week. Let's go to the Lord. God, we know that you want us to continue to reach out to people in this community. And we know that um, when we're bringing people toward you, that that's pleasing to you and we want to continue to do that and maybe the best way to do that is to stay here where we are and maybe the best way to do that is to branch out and go somewhere else maybe there's people that you're looking for us to reach somewhere else um, and that our proximity to them and moving to a different place would bring us to those people that you want us to speak to so we just look for your guidance in which direction you're looking for us to go and where you want us to be. And we ask that you bring clarity to the board, that you bring ideas forward um, to them, that um, if there's a, a location you want us to be in, um, that you, you just bring that idea forward to someone or to someone in the board so that uh, it can be considered so that we can get working on um, the, the logistics around that. And we know that, God, wherever you lead us, um, we are willing to follow you. And we submit to you. We submit to your will and not our own. And we just ask for your wisdom in this situation um, and that uh, you give us all a peace in the changes, we change is hard, Lord, and we know that, and we um, acknowledge that, and we bring that to you, uh, that you help us with this change, and you help us to acclimate to this new situation wherever you want us to be. Just like you helped us acclimate from going to the from the four o'clock service to the morning service, Lord, we just ask that you help us acclimate to uh, this new situation we're in, um, be it be it here or or at another location. And we pray that whatever happens, that uh, we continue to um, come together as a community and do it together, um, to reach people together and to uh, help the community around us know you better, Lord. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that uh, you are a God uh, who provides, that you are a God who is faithful. Um, we thank you that uh, you know what you're going to do. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust. Uh, we pray that you would help us to um, have our eyes open for uh, your provision, whatever that looks like. And uh, God, we ask that you would grant uh, those of us who are trying to make decisions uh, wisdom and, uh, and faith. And uh, God, I, I thank you for uh, the things that you've been teaching us uh, through the book of James, Lord. I pray that they would be um, the things that we remember. I pray that you would help them to help us to, to hold them in our hearts, uh, not just in our heads, God. And um, 
We pray that we would be people who um, value what you value and love what you love, God, and, um, and who are people who, um, who manifest uh, your love in the world, God. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.